A better way to recycle plastics? Think Pac-Man. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. Venice, Italy may have a new lease on life. The famous city of canals is sinking and has been threatened by rising sea levels. But last week it got a chance to test a new system of gates to hold back water, and they worked. Reuters reports that a network of 78 bright yellow barriers at the entrance of the Venice Lagoon lifted from the seabed to protect the city against a rising tide driven by strong winds and rain. The forecast had warned of a high tide, and a Venetian official told the New York Times that if the barriers had not been raised, visitors to St. Mark's Square would have been wading in a foot and a half of water. Skeptics had wondered whether the system, plagued by corruption, cost overruns, and prolonged delays, would be up to the task. But the barriers worked, even though they weren't fully operational. Some say the barriers won't fully solve the threat to the city from climate change. The floodgates may have to stay up so often, it might turn the Venice Lagoon into a swamp. But on Saturday, Venetians were celebrating as hopes were raised in a city suffering from a fall in tourism due to the coronavirus. There's new hope around the plague of plastics piling up in our oceans and waterways. Scientists have developed a plastic-eating cocktail of enzymes that could revolutionize recycling. Researchers had already discovered one enzyme that could break down plastics, but recent work at the National Renewable Energy Lab, or NRAL, and the University of Portsmouth found that by tying two enzymes together, they could speed up the process to make it six times faster. The method is like joining two Pac-Mans by a string, increasing the speed at which the enzymes gobble up plastic. The breakthrough would make recycling commercially feasible. The enzyme cocktail could break down plastic to its original component parts, making it infinitely recyclable. Since plastic is made from petrochemicals, the process could play a role in reducing not only global pollution, but also greenhouse gases. There are numerous reservoirs around the world basking in the sun. But according to new research, those water bodies hold huge potential for producing energy. Scientists at NRAL have shown that by deploying floating solar panels on the hundreds of thousands of hydropower reservoirs around the world, they could produce as much as 7.6 terawatts a year, almost half of the global electricity demand. About two years ago, NRAL estimated that floating solar in the U.S. could provide about 10% of the country's energy consumption, even if the panels covered only a quarter of the total surface area of available water bodies. In this new study, the NREL team said that by producing solar power during dry seasons, hydropower operators could conserve more of their impounded water by not sending it through turbines. Floating solar is also feasible because it would use existing power lines for transmission. Floating solar is growing in the U.S., with one of the largest arrays recently starting production at a water treatment plant in New Jersey. And the U.S. Army has jumped into the game, announcing last week it will build the largest floating solar plant in the southeast at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. In last week's edition, we brought you a story about zombie tropical storms, weather events that appear to have died but come back to life. 
This week, it's zombie fires. Scientists have discovered that fires in the Arctic can smolder underground in carbon-rich peat over the winter, then reignite on the surface as soon as the weather warms in the spring. An international team of researchers has been tracking fire activity in the Russian Arctic and also found as the tundra in the far north becomes hotter and drier, vegetation types not typically thought of as fuels, like dwarf shrubs and moss, are starting to catch fire. Even wet landscapes like bogs and marshes are also becoming vulnerable to burning. More than half of the fires detected in Siberia this year were north of the Arctic Circle on permafrost, which locks in enormous amounts of carbon from ancient biomass, making the fires of global concern. And finally... Blue whales are the largest animals on Earth. Every year, the ones in the Pacific migrate over 4,000 miles from summer feeding grounds in the northwest to winter breeding grounds in the warmer waters of Mexico and Central America. And according to new research from Stanford, their singing pattern is a clue as to when that migration might happen. During the daytime in the summer, the whales gorge on krill to prepare for their long journey. And at night... They sing. But the recent research has revealed that once the decision is made to head south, the singing pattern flips. The whales switch to crooning in the daytime. Why whales sing is still a mystery and generally thought to be about mating. But this new research suggests it might also be to do with food sources and migration. Blue whales are spread over vast distances while foraging. By listening to their brethren at night, it might help them gather intel about good food stocks in their region. Also, hearing that other whales are on the move could signal it's time for everyone to stop eating and make a break for warmer waters. The researchers say understanding changing whale song patterns could help reduce the number of ship strikes along along the California coast by predicting when and where migrations are happening. The songs could also reveal how the animals are responding to climate change as they shift their feeding grounds to find food sources. Just how flexible and adaptable the whales are to warming oceans could indicate where and whether they'll be singing in the future. That's it for This Week in Water. We'll catch you next time.